Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Greg Sullivan. Greg, are you ready to do this? Thanks, George. I am ready to go. Excellent. Let's do this. Greg is a wealth advisor, a CFP, a CPA. He has been recognized as a Barron's Top 100 Independent Advisors. He is one of the founders of Sullivan, Bruyette, Spiros, and Blaney, an author of the book Retirement Fail, The Nine Reasons People Flunk Post-Work Life and How to Ace Your Own. I'm excited to have you on, Greg. Tell us a little bit about your personal life your professional background and why you do what you do. Thank you, George. Uh, yeah, my personal life, I am married. Uh, we have four wonderful adult children. We both brought two to the marriage. And we have two grandchildren with a third on the way. Um, what we really love doing, is we just love the outdoors, cycling, kayaking, hiking, skiing, whatever it is, um, you'll find us doing it. So. Uh, we enjoy doing it with our family as well. On the business side, uh started out as a CPA. Uh started out with a firm called Ernst & Ernst that became Ernst & Winnie, is now Ernst & Young. So that was some time ago. Um, got into the financial planning field early on in 1981. I'll never forget calling my dad up and telling him, hey, Dad, I left public accounting. I'm going to be a financial planner. <laughs> and he said, that's the dumbest thing you've done so far. <laughs> Of all the dumb and, things uh, you've done. <laughs> exactly. I thought of all the things I've done, you guys, this isn't quite the dumbest. Right. But, you know, back in 1981, financial planning was mostly people selling product and um, not necessarily serving and giving advice. And that's really what my goal and objective was. And But I saw the vision and uh, the planning world was coming. And now it's a much more respected field, you know, 30 plus years for, uh, since then. And it served me well. So we have a firm. We have 60 people in our office. Uh, we provide fully integrated financial management and investment advisory services. We serve uh, about $3.5 billion of our clients' assets and provide tax services as well as the full consulting range. So it's a great business. We have a great team, and we love what we do. Excellent. Well, I think it's it's fascinating why is it that, that you started out being a CPA and then made the transition to, to, to planning? Was it a love of, of numbers or was it just to talk, tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, it's interesting. I did not plan on being an accountant. I had no interest in, uh, in the field of accounting. I really went to school. I was going to get a finance degree. I wanted to be on Wall Street. I wanted to help people with their investments and planning. I already had that figured out even when I was, before I went to college, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. But my dad said to me, he said, you know what? He said, the smartest people I know in business are CPAs. And that kind of stuck with me. And I thought, all right, well, I'll go become a CPA. <laughs> so then I'll be one of the smartest people he knows in business. <laughs> and um, it ended up being uh, a great background. My dad was really spot on that the accounting background has been so helpful for me in my whole career. But it's not my passion, and it's not what I love to do. So what I really love to do is help people with their investments and with their planning and estate planning and tax planning and all of that. It's more of a puzzle 
business. You, I love putting puzzles together, and the planning world is, is very much in that line. So I got out of the accounting world uh, relatively quickly after only a couple of years and um, found just found my love. And, you know, I, I still do it to this day just because I love it, and I love the clients, and I love our staff. Excellent. So such such a great 30-plus years of experience, as, as you mentioned, starting out with the great big CPA firm and then getting into financial planning early on and now growing a very successful firm. So with all that experience, I know it's tough to maybe put your finger on, on a couple of things, but what's an area that you think if people could make an improvement on would bring the greatest return for them? Uh, really good question. What I have found is that um, people get caught up in their emotions around investing or personal finance decisions. And so their emotions with anxiety issues, and it's not necessarily, you know, anxiety that that paralyzes them, but they have great worries about money. And they think that it's, you know, more about how you invest uh, day-to-day than than thinking long-term. So the news media disrupts our thinking, our friends and family can disrupt our thinking, and so it's harder for most people to think long term um, because they make decisions and they're they're bombarded with information and, and new data all the time, and they tend to make more emotional decisions. So, what we really try to do is try to take some of the emotional side away from it, understand it, and appreciate it, but make sure that there's a rationale and there's a, a long term game plan that uh, they stay more focused on. Got it. It's a. I think it was from the book Fierce Conversations. It says, "Will your plan survive its collision with reality?" And right. one of my favorite Mike Tyson quotes. And when I say one of my favorite, I have to imagine it's my only favorite Mike Tyson quote. <laughs> is is everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. So you might have a great financial plan, but until your right brain goes to work on that plan, that's when you're really going to know if it's if it's going to hold up or not. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when people do get hit in the face on their finances, you know, you know, sometimes a couple times a year or, you know, maybe less than that here and there. But when they do, how are they going to deal with it? And part of it um, and part of the reason for the book that I wrote was to create awareness to these issues. And I break it down into nine different groups, nine different issues that I think most people uh, run into. And, and so the purpose of the book is that once you're aware that these things can be happening and then you can think through what the impact is to you, you're more likely to be successful. So it's not about how your portfolio is performing because I put in the book a, a way in which I think any portfolio managed in, a, in within the confines and the barriers that I, I suggest will always do fine with their portfolio. It's the emotional things that are going to trip them up and and possibly disrupt their uh, financial independence or their happiness um, with the, the retirement they have. What are some common examples? Uh, you know, there's this whole thing about unpredictabilities, which in many cases, I have a whole chapter on unpredictabilities and the different things that come about, many of which... If you really stopped and thought a little bit about it and created some awareness around them, they might have not been so unpredictable um, and could have been managed. Sometimes it's, you know, 
single stock issues where you know the client just falls in love with their their stock and had it been a GE stock, uh, you know, maybe you did well, maybe your your parents did well with it um, over the years, but that's just not the right place to have been for the last 10 years, and it would have disrupted. I wrote a little thing about Cisco. I mean, people were just falling in love with Cisco back in the 90s, and it was the greatest stock. And then those who were buying it in 99 and 2000, it literally went from 80 to 8. They lost 90% of their money in, in uh, 18 months. Um, and so people fall in love with things. And so it's about, hey, that wasn't an unpredictable outcome. It was actually predictable to some extent uh, and could have been avoided. But then there's other things that are unpredictable, health issues, but you can manage around those if you plan them, uh, family issues. Uh, it's more about creating awareness around what they might be and dealing with it. Divorce is an un- maybe thought of as unpredictable, but you can look at it and say, the, right, the, the fastest growing population of divorces right now is people over age 50. <laughs> and the percentage of people over age 50 getting divorced has doubled in the last 20 years. So it's an issue. And just, you know, these things happen. And so now how do you deal with it? Because they're all emotional issues. Well, that is interesting. Is that, is, is that because of perhaps second marriages? So it's easier to get divorced the second time? Who... <laughs> Who knows? Well, interestingly enough, um, over 60% of the second marriages end in divorce. Mm-hmm. And the, over 70% of the third marriages end, end in divorce. So the percentages go even higher. Uh, and those are typically for people who are later in life as well. Got it. <clears throat> well, you mentioned um, certainly family. And if we talk about um, emotional issues and making decisions around them. I mean, that's what our emotions are, are, are for, is, is, is to love our, our family and our loved ones and to try to help them and to help them to be successful. But I have to imagine that when you're dealing with a complex client that has assets and perhaps an interest in a business and, and there's family considerations that those are some of the toughest conversations for you to have. Is there a way that that makes it easier to work through those problems? Yeah, that's a really good issue. Um, I actually have a chapter in the book called The Nest That Won't Empty. And um, it's really around family and, and how do we how do we move our children to become independent? I don't mean just, you know, the fact that they won't move out of our basement. <laughs> uh, because in many cases they usually do. But they... In many cases, you just be surprised at the families you see this happen, where the children continue to come back to the parents in need of financial support, even though the children are doing quite well with their jobs. They just don't manage their monies well, and they know mom has this soft uh, spot in their heart for them and will help take care of them. So it's once you create the awareness that maybe that's not the best thing. Maybe it's okay to say no to your children. And they'll still love you in the end. Because what we see is the reason parents continue to give in to their children is they're more concerned about losing that relationship. They're concerned about that love and relationship that may get disrupted by not continuing to help and support their children. It's really a fascinating thing. Um, And so we just try to create awareness around it. And we say that when your child comes to you and asks for money, 
maybe turn it, instead of just giving it to them, turn it into a loan arrangement um, and say, look, okay, we can help you, but we're going to make this a loan and set the terms and the process for getting paid back. It's very helpful because the other siblings will really appreciate it when you set set up terms and conditions uh, because it creates more anxiety and, and um, stress inside a family if one child tends to go to mom and dad compared to the others. I have to imagine that that's 100% true, and it's a matter of managing the expectations on the front end, just like what you're talking about, is having some kind of terms in place that when you give money to Johnny and then Jane and Billy come over and they're like, well, why do you keep giving money to them? Then you can communicate to them also and say, well, we came to an agreement where we're going to lend him this money, but he's going to pay it back over this period of time or whatever it might be. I have to imagine that really helps every dynamic in the family. It does, but they're tough conversations. Um, and it's hard for the parents to talk about it with the children. Sometimes we get involved uh, with our clients and we'll say, okay, here's how the conversation should go. Or we'll bring people together and say, let's just have a, let's have an open conversation, create the, uh, you know, an open atmosphere for transparency and honesty with everybody uh, and try to deal with it because things can get out of hand. Um, and that I tell you what, the whole family appreciates it except possibly the, per- the child who's been asking for the money. Less so. Uh, yeah, exactly. They less so to, to the extent, but um, it, it's, a healthy, it's a more healthy way for the family to exist and uh, to, to deal with financial issues, which are um, always an emotional item for family. No doubt. There's a reason that there's so many very large, very successful consulting firms, because just like a family, or just a family can be like a company where if you're inside of it and working there every day with the other people, it's tough to have those conversations and it, it's valuable to have an outside person come in to be able to, I don't want to call it stir the pot, but just to, just to have those tough conversations. Right. Or, and to help frame what the conversation could be. So it's not just them, it's, you know, your advisor. And as I even say to some of my clients, you know, blame it on me. Um, just say, hey, my advisor said I have to have this conversation. And um, so, they, you know, it's not just them having to have it, even though it's a necessary thing for the family. I think that that's, that makes a lot of sense, and it, it's a simple thing. Just make, make me the bad guy, but just use that as, as the tool to, to have that conversation. So Exactly. I like it. Exactly. Yeah. So the book's chock full of things like that. It's, it's you know, it's, it helps people really look at things, you know, with, and, and, and I'm actually asking people to use the book to share it with their family members because there may be a section in there that applies to, to a, a sibling or to a, a child as well. Um, you know, I have a chapter on spending. You know, people kind of fall into three categories. You're either a saver or you're an avoider or you're a spender. Um, and in each case, it can create some anxiety around money. It doesn't matter which way it is. And it doesn't matter the size of your net worth. It's a fascinating thing. So clients with smaller net worths have smaller issues sometimes around it. And those with larger net worth, it just it can actually be a, more, uh, a bigger issue uh, around finance. Because someone says, well, we have plenty of money to do what we want to do. But it may not be the way the money personalities are working inside the family. 
because very few people, especially spouses, have the exact same money personality, right? So they're dealing with um, a husband who's comfortable with spending and a wife that wants to be the saver or vice versa. How do you accommodate both? Who makes the final decision around financial decision? You know, like buying a boat or buying the second home or taking the family on vacation. Who's going to make that decision if they look at the money differently? Yeah. It helps get somebody to talk to in, in those kind of situations. I can only, I would have to think that so few people have done any kind of an assessment or taken the time to really think about how how I approach money. Am I a saver? Am I a spender? Am, am I an avoider? Um, and you're right. It's If we've never thought about those things, how can you really affect, how can you really expect to have a good financial outcome, especially when making major money decisions? So. Yeah, especially when you're in retirement. So I had some clients who were retiring. It was really fascinating. So both the husband, the husband actually was retiring a few months before the wife. And I said, well, what's your dream? What would you like to be doing? And the wife said, I want to be traveling. And the husband's looking at it saying, well, I don't know that we can travel the way you want to travel. We don't have that kind of resources. And I'm looking at their balance sheet saying, your balance sheet and the way you spend, you've got twice as much money as you'll ever need. <laughs> But the husband couldn't see it, um, and that's mainly because the husband kind of looks at this: their money as a lake, and and that lake is going to get drained, and I'm afraid I'm going to lose and not have as much uh, uh, finances I always will need. And the wife's looking at it saying, I want to go have a nice time. Right. So what I did is I said, let's take a bucket of money. Let's take a bucket of water out of that lake, and you'll still be fine with the lake you have reserved, and we're going to call this your fun bucket. And so out of this fun bucket, you guys can decide how you want to go have your fun and travel, et cetera, et cetera. And that allowed the husband to look at the remaining pot and say, okay, yes, as long as I have this pot over here of money, I'll be fine emotionally. And so that's how we did it. And we created this bucket of fun money. And they're actually out having fun. They're traveling. And he's like, this is actually good. This is good. I'm getting used to it. Uh, But you had to kind of... open them up to say it's okay to spend some and you'll still have, you know, to manage your anxiety, the funds you have this pool of money over here that you'll be comfortable with. So it's different techniques to help them think it through and be effective with their finance. Got it. I think that's a, a perfect example to help, uh, to help frame that. So, yeah. well, Greg Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? You know, my big advice is success begins with awareness. So take the time to think about and prepare for the unpredictabilities in life. Think about what you can do and what could possibly trip you up in retirement. But create the awareness, right? Create the awareness so that you can actually have deeper conversation and you can hopefully enjoy your wealth and the opportunities to help others more. That is great stuff, and that definitely gets a come on. Come on. So, Greg, thank you so much for, for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Uh, I've got two uh, websites you can check us out. Uh, the first is the company website, sbsbllc.com, or check me out on retirementfail.com. That's uh, the information in the book. There's a nice little quiz on there that people can use to uh, – to uh, see how they're doing with their uh, plans for retirement. And I believe you can also buy the book on Amazon. Am I correct? It, 
It's available Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart Books, eBooks. It's available everywhere. Excellent. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, share or show Greg your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go get a copy of his book. Check out retirementfail.com. I'll have all that listed in the notes of the show as well. Thank you again, Greg. Thank you very much, George. This was, this was a lot of fun. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!